This audio is brought to you by muslimcentral.com. Bismillah alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa ala. So inshallah ta'ala tonight we are on episode 50 of the first. So first and foremost we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to allow us to benefit from what we have learned about these blessed companions of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and to emulate what we have learned of them and to apply that in our lives and we ask Allah to join us with them and with our beloved Messenger Now with that being said inshallah ta'ala, a few things before I get started. This is the last long episode we're going to do in season one of the first. So let me explain what that means. This is the last Tuesday night that we're going to have a live session for a few months inshallah ta'ala. And we will wrap up the first season of As-Sabiqun Al-Awwaloon of the first. Why? Because what I want to do for the next few months, inshallah ta'ala, is I want to extract some of the biographies from these books of seer that are not spoken about at all in the Muslim memory. Names like Khunais, uh, you know, and Ashifa, and Atika, and, uh, you know, uh, Ukasha, and Mihja, names that are not familiar, radiallahu anhum ajma'in, that are not familiar to Muslims. And one of my main intentions for this series was to bring out some of those early Muslims that we often don't hear about. So what we're going to be doing, these are people that if you read, you know, uh, Al-Isaba by Ibn Hajar or the Tabaqat of Ibn Sa'ad or Seer Alam al-Nubula, you'll find one or two paragraphs about them. But I want us to know their names, inshallah ta'ala, and to know something about them. So every week you'll find online, inshallah ta'ala, on uh, our YouTube channel, Yaqeen Institute, a new biography that's uploaded. These episodes will be about 15 minutes on average, inshallah ta'ala reflecting on some of these names. Then what we will do inshallah ta'ala is we'll get back to the in-person long lectures inshallah, long biographies, and we'll start with the Ansar of the Prophet sallallahu in season two. Who are we talking about tonight? We're talking about Mus'ab ibn Umair radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Mus'ab radiallahu anhu is literally the bridge between as-sabiqun al-awwalun, the muhajirun and the Ansar. He's the bridge between the first in Mecca and the first in Medina. And so it's fitting that we saved him for the last of the long biographies inshallah ta'ala that we are covering in this series so that we can understand the way that the baton was passed from Mecca to Medina and ta'ala by the time we start season two inshallah ta'ala of the first uh, you would have had an appreciation of pretty much all of the names in some capacity men and women that accepted Islam early on with the Prophet in those first 13 years. So we start with Mus'ab ibn Umair radiallahu ta'ala anhu. By far, subhanAllah, one of my favorite biographies in the seer, in the biographies of the companions of the Prophet Truly an extraordinary human being and you could dwell on every part of his Islam and spend an entire class on it because everything about him is against the norms. SubhanAllah, what he was able to accomplish and what he represented, Mus'ab radiallahu ta'ala anhu goes against every single wind, every trend to embrace Islam and to become one of its greatest carriers. Some call him the first safir, the first ambassador of Islam, Mus'ab radiallahu ta'ala anhu, who fits many categories. There's a beautiful narration from Ali ibn Abi Talib radiallahu ta'ala anhu, where he says, he said that every Nabi, every Prophet was given seven special servants or, or, or special um, attendants, not servants. Uh, a better word is like your disciples. But Hawari is disciples and the Prophet's disciple was who? 
as Zubayr radiallahu ta'ala anhu, right? That's who he called his hawari, his disciple. But they're special followers, they're guards, they are always there around that Prophet of Allah. So the Prophet is saying that every Prophet had seven of these people, and he said, And I was given 14. We said, Who are they? And some of the scholars say this narration is actually Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu speaking, uh, not the Prophet himself. So that's why the narration comes across as such. Me and my two sons, that is Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu, and his two sons, Al-Hassan wal Hussein, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be pleased with them. So the first three that are mentioned here, Ali wal Hassan wal Hussein, may Allah be pleased with them. And we covered them, of course, early on in this series. Wa Ja'far wa Hamza wa Abu Bakr wa Umar. Ja'far radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Hamza radiallahu anhu. The two shaykhs of this ummah, Abu Bakr and Umar radiallahu anhuma. Wa Mus'ab wa Bilal wa Salman and Mus'ab radiallahu ta'ala anhu, and Bilal and Salman. Wa'ammar wal-Miqdad, and Ammar ibn Yasir, and al-Miqdad, may Allah be pleased with them. All of them we have covered. Wa Hudayfa wa Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, and Hudayfa uh, and Abdullah, uh, Abu Dhar, I'm sorry, wa Hudayfa uh, and Abu Dhar, wa Abdullah ibn Mas'ud. Hudayfa, Abu Dhar, and Abdullah ibn Mas'ud. So these are the 14 special attendants to the Prophet وسلم, that are mentioned here. And of course, there are various narrations that mention the companions and their special virtues. The only person we haven't covered out of all of this is the one we are covering tonight, which is Mus'ab ibn Umair anhu. His full name is Mus'ab ibn Umair ibn Hashim ibn Abdi Manaf. Uh, he is from a small tribe in Quraysh known as Banu Abdari. Banu Abdari, and if you notice when you look at the tribes of Quraysh, one way to understand the way that the tribes worked is that the bigger tribes had a, you know, a disproportionate amount of power and influence amongst Quraysh. The bigger tribes tended to have power. Some of those smaller tribes of Quraysh that had a high lineage but they were small in numbers tended to have a huge accumulation of wealth. So there's wealth with some of the small tribes and a lot of power with some of the large tribes and of course all of them had their pride, their boasting in their nasl, in their lineage, which was prominent in the time. So Mus'ab radiallahu ta'ala anhu comes from one of the richest and smallest tribes of Quraysh, Banu Abdari. And he in particular will be the richest amongst them. So I want to give you a profile of Mus'ab radiallahu ta'ala anhu before we start talking about his Islam so you can understand it. If you saw Mus'ab radiallahu ta'ala anhu, you would say this is the most handsome man that I've ever seen in my life. He was an extremely handsome man. He resembled the Prophet so much so that in Uhud they could mistake the Prophet and Mus'ab. That's how close he looked to the Prophet and we know the beauty of our Prophet So Mus'ab radiallahu ta'ala anhu was a beautiful, handsome man. He had a beautiful smile radiallahu ta'ala anhu. He was extremely wealthy. And here's how he became so wealthy. He was the only child of his mother. His mother's name was Khunas bint Malik. Khunas bint Malik. His father was Umair. Now just so you understand this for a bit, he was the only child of Khunas bint Malik. So he's the only child of Khunas bint Malik. However, he has two brothers from his father, half-brothers from Umair. One of them is a man by the name of Mansur ibn Umair radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And by the way, he's one of those who also became Muslim early on 
migrated to Abyssinia, migrated to Al Medina, uh, participated in Badr and Uhud, and died as a shaheed in Yarmouk. So that's the half brother of Mus'ab ibn Umair, Mansur ibn Umair. His second brother is named Abu Yazid ibn Umair. And he also عنه, became Muslim, but he became Muslim at the time of the Fatih, at the time of the conquest. So much, much later on, and there's a famous story of him as a prisoner in Badr, fighting against the Muslims that we'll talk about. So these are Mus'ab his two half-brothers from his father. From his mother, he was the only child, okay? His father, extremely wealthy. And when he passed away, Mus'ab ended up with the largest share of his wealth. He inherits a ton of wealth. How wealthy was he? Listen to this, this is, this is pretty significant. They said that if you took what Mus'ab inherited from his father, who died when he was a child, and you compared it to the wealth of all of Mecca, Mus'ab alone, his wealth was about half of that. The wealth that Mus'ab grew up in, not earned, grew up in, was about half of the wealth of the people of Mecca altogether. On top of that, he is his mother's only child. His mother adores him. Her whole life surrounds Mus'ab. She doesn't remarry. She has no other children. Her entire life is about Mus'ab. She spoils him rotten, and that's not an exaggeration. I mean spoils him with all of the luxury that he already inherited, as well as the luxury that she had as well. So what does she do? From, from the time he's a little child, Mus'ab is wearing you know, all types of gold. And of course, back then, none of this is haram and jahili in the days of ignorance. Mus'ab had the gold bracelets on him. He had the gold chains. Mus'ab was wearing silk garments as a child. You know when you see the rich children that, you know, that, that are dressed in clothes that you would never afford as an adult? That's Mus'ab that child, right? Even as a baby, he's dressed in these clothes. He has the best perfumes in Mecca. He has only custom clothes, a tailor, a special tailor that comes from Yemen that tailors his clothes for him, the best of clothes, the best of silks, the best of jewelry, the best of perfumes, and on top of that, by the way, he said even his shoes were tailored, all right? Customized shoes for Mus'ab and when Mus'ab grows up as a teenager, he goes right into the role. Handsome, has the best perfume, the best shoes, the best clothes. Basically, Mus'ab what he wore was the trend in Mecca. And they would dilute the perfume to smell close to the perfume of Mus'ab So what Mus'ab could afford in terms of perfume would stay in a place for days. They knew that he was there uh, three days, four days after he was there because of the type of perfume that he wore. They would dilute their perfumes in Mecca to try to smell like his, and that was, that was the branding of it, the selling of it, right? So everyone wanted to be like him. Everyone wanted to look like him. Everyone wanted to dress like him. Everyone wanted to smell like him. That's a lot for the ego of a child, right? That's a lot that could go to a young person's head. On top of that, his mother is making him the king of the world. He has good looks. He's very intelligent. He, everyone wants to be around him, friends. All that is there, right? So he's growing up in this type of environment. And that would be probably the least likely you know, young person to accept Islam, right? A lot, of, a lot of young people don't have their coming to Allah moment until what? until that dream gets shattered quickly. You think that pursuing a certain type of social life is gonna make you happy, and then once you realize that's not really working out for you as a young person, then you start to think about religion. 
Let me get through my youth, my silliness, especially if I have a lot of money that I inherited, which usually translates into recklessness. And then I'll think about religion. Musab has nothing shattering his image for him. It is all perfectly in place for him. Until he hears about Dar al-Arqam. He hears because Musab is surrounded by people. People tell him things, so he gets news early on because everyone's always coming to him to ask him questions, to talk to him, to be around him. He hears about Dar al-Arqam. This place where Muhammad is gathering 10, 15, 20 companions in the house of Al-Arqam, who's also a teenager. Mus'ab was only a young boy, barely a teenager at this point. And he's talking to them about this new religion, monotheism, the hereafter, things that he had never heard of. Mus'ab is curious. Now Mus'ab, and this is when the Prophet says that people are like precious stones. The best of you in the days of ignorance are the best of you in Islam. Even though Mus'ab had all this, he wasn't pompous. He didn't, you don't find any instance in Jahliya of Mus'ab you know, slapping a slave or spitting on someone or belittling someone or denigrating something, which is a testimony to his character early on. He's pompous, he's growing up in luxury. If there was a reality TV show at the time, it would have all been about uh, Mus'ab Right? But he's not arrogant in the sense he doesn't denigrate people. He says, I'm very curious about this. But he wants to go very secretively to Dar al-Arqam because he doesn't want his mom to find out. Ultimately, all of this comes from his mother. So the description of him, subhanAllah, going to Dar al-Arqam is that he literally went in the, in the depths of the night and he's, he's tippy-toeing, he's, he's going so quietly to Dar al-Arqam trying to escape the crowds, the sight of people to see what's going on. And he knocks extremely softly on the door, and they let him in. When they let him in, Rasulullah was teaching, he was addressing them. So he, he, he interrupted in a way, or he, walk, he happened to walk in when the Prophet was talking to them. So put yourself through the lens of Mus'ab opening the door of Dar al-Arqam, you see all of these people. Who are the majority of the people sitting around the Prophet The exact opposite of you from a societal standpoint. Slaves, Poor people, oppressed people, people without tribe. That's pretty much who's gathered around the Prophet So when they see Mus'ab there is a, a mood in the room, like who just walked in the room. But Mus'ab is not like Umar where when he knocks, everyone's like, okay, let's, let's get ready. Mus'ab is not a threat, but it's, what's he doing here? Right, wow, he's here? Rasulullah notices him, but the Prophet doesn't stop talking. He continues to speak, and he happened to be speaking about Al-Jannah wal-Nar, paradise and hellfire, and the notions of the hereafter. And as he is speaking, Mus'ab waits, and he asks the Prophet a few questions, and Mus'ab embraces Islam in that moment. First encounter with the Prophet in Dar al-Arqam. This is a huge development in Mecca, but Mus'ab is in big trouble if he gets caught. So the Prophet tells Mus'ab to keep his Islam private, as the companions at that point were not announcing their Islam. So Mus'ab kept his Islam private. However, he became a student of the Prophet in Dar al-Arqam. So he became a regular attendee of Dar al-Arqam, along with those denigrated people in society. 
sitting with them, learning from the Prophet ﷺ, being mentored by the Prophet ﷺ, developing his akhlaq. And sometimes Mus'ab would secretly go and pray around the Kaaba, or he'd pray with the Prophet ﷺ and some of the companions. At that time, it's not the five salawat, it's not the five prayers, but they still had some iteration of prayer. They prayed Qiyamul Layl, they prayed the night prayer. So he's hiding his Islam for, from his mom for a while. Then one day, he gets caught. The man who catches him is a man by the name of Uthman ibn Talha radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Uthman ibn Talha uh, is famous for being the, the person who the Prophet gave the keys to the Kaaba in Fatih Mecca and said that the keys stay with your tribe. So Uthman ibn Talha is a noble man, but he did not become Muslim also until right before Fatih Mecca, until right before the conquest of Mecca, around the time of Khalid ibn al-Walid radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So at this point, Uthman ibn Talha is one of those that are hostile to the Prophet and his message. Uthman ibn Talha sees Mus'ab praying secretly around the Kaaba. Who does he go to? He goes to his mother. His mother is in complete disbelief. Do you know what your son has done? She says, what? He joined the, the ranks of Muhammad She says, no, not my son, no way. This has to be a misunderstanding. There's no way my son, Mus'ab is so close to his mother. They talk all the time. There's a great level of love and obedience and good character. My son would have told me if he became Muslim. Of course he didn't join the religion of Muhammad So they bring Mus'ab forward and they bring some of the uncles of Mus'ab from Banu Abdari and they ask him directly, is it true that you have left your religion and joined the religion of Muhammad and Mus'ab does not lie, he admits it, he says it's true. Shock, how do we contain this? Now with Mus'ab, there's something very sensitive about this. If you beat him publicly, Mus'ab is a trendsetter, right? So Mus'ab was followed in so many different trends, could easily become a trendsetter for Islam as well, and they know it. So they have to keep this very, very, very quiet. His mother was so upset she goes up to him, and subhanAllah, this, is, this shows you the very human emotions that are at play here. She's about to hit him, but she can't. She loves him too much. Never hit her son before. She doesn't know how to hit him. So she holds herself back. She's screaming at him. She can't hit him, which was very common at that time. And she said, you know what? I'm going to imprison you. Basically, I'm going to keep you tied up in the house. لا تخرج حتى ترتد عن هذا الدين. You will not leave this house until you renounce this religion of yours. So he was tied up in a corner of the home, sort of in a dungeon, and deprived, and you know everything is taken away from him. He's not able to see the light of day. But at the same time, she did not beat him. She would not hit him. So Mus'ab radiAllahu ta'ala anhu is in this basically the situation of solitary confinement. He has no brothers around him. He has no sisters around him. He has no spouse, he has no friends, no one to actually come to him. And he is waiting for his mother to relent and let him out. So his mother, still being compassionate towards him, checks on him and tries to talk to him, tries to convince him to leave Islam. Mus'ab is unrelenting. Mus'ab in turn invites her to Islam and she mocks the idea altogether. And she continues to make the deprivation of food and drink and things of that sort worse for him hoping that that will be enough to cause Mus'ab to relent. However, Mus'ab is unwavering in his faith. 
Now, by the way, I, I, I want to, to pause here for a moment. Mus'ab radiallahu ta'ala anhu is different from those other companions that are being tortured because the others, as the ulama say, they never tasted ni'mah. They never tasted that blessing of this dunya the way that Mus'ab radiallahu anhu did. I mean, he had everything and he's a young man. I mean, and he's privileged, right? So typically that type would break quickly, right? Mus'ab radiallahu anhu is not breaking and the entire dunya is being taken away from him and that was his whole identity was dunya. His whole identity was material wealth and that's all taken away from him radiallahu ta'ala anhu. In that time in solitary confinement, Mus'ab radiallahu ta'ala anhu would read the Qur'an that he memorized from the Prophet And Mus'ab radiallahu anhu had a beautiful voice in the recitation of the Qur'an. The Sahaba used to love to hear Mus'ab radiallahu anhu recite the Qur'an. So think about that chamber in the home. He's there, he's reciting the Qur'an, he's praying. He does not yell at his mother, never yells at his mother, does not become aggressive with her. He's simply waiting until Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes a way out for him. So while Mus'ab radiallahu ta'ala anhu is in this situation, somehow Mus'ab radiallahu ta'ala anhu comes to know that the Muslims are being given permission to migrate to Abyssinia. So that shows you how early in Islam he is, that this is before the first migration to Al-Habasha. Mus'ab radiallahu ta'ala anhu comes to know of the news in some way that they're going towards Abyssinia, that they're going to Al-Habasha. And so Mus'ab radiallahu ta'ala anhu waits until the guard that has been appointed to him is asleep and he manages to escape and join that group of Muslims that are making their hijrah, making their way to Abyssinia, the first batch of them. So he goes out and he escapes عنه, with nothing but the clothes on his back and whatever wealth could sustain him for the journey and no family whatsoever. Going to be a stranger in a land that he has never been to while he was a trendsetter in the society that he grew up in. He makes his way to Habasha at some point in Abyssinia or shortly after, he marries a woman by the name of Hamna bint Jash. Hamna is the sister of Zainab bint Jash, who would become the wife of the Prophet. So the future sister-in-law of the Prophet, Hamna bint Jash, marries Mus'ab. And Mus'ab basically starts to piece his life back together in this post-persecution period. Now while they were in Abyssinia, they hear that the people of Mecca have become Muslim. So that rumor spreads that the people of Mecca have embraced Islam. Mus'ab was amongst those that came back on the basis of that rumor and came to unfortunately find out that it was not true. He gets to Mecca. Who does he visit first when he gets back to Mecca? Who do you all think? The Prophet before he goes to his mother, he goes to the Prophet Then he goes to his mother. And his mother says to him when she sees him, she's very emotional obviously because she wants him back now. I mean, maybe him being in Abyssinia has caused her to have a change of heart. So she says to him, وَيْحَكَ يَا بُنَيْ Woe to you, O my son. أَتَعُودُ مِنَ الْحَبَشَ وَتَأْتِي لَا مُحَمَدٍ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَمْ قَبْلَ أَنْ تَزُورَنِي You come back from Abyssinia and you visit Muhammad sallallahu before you visit me, you return to Muhammad, this man sallallahu before you even come to me. And he said, حُبُّ مُحَمَّدٍ sallallahu أَعْظَمُ مِنْ حُبِّكَ The love of the Prophet sallallahu oh my mother, is greater than your love. And listen to what he says. He says, أَنْتِ أَخْرَجْتِينِ مِنَ الرَّحِمِ 
إلى الدنيا وقد أخرجني الله به من الظلمات إلى النور. Profound. He said, "You, O oh my mother, brought me out of your womb into this world, and Allah through him brought me from darkness to light." Now, when you ask, you know, why is the Prophet more beloved to you than anyone else? Through him, Allah brought you from darkness to light. So Musab was saying, look, I love you and I appreciate you. And he doesn't bring up the torture or the deprivation or any of that. But what Allah did for me through him is greater than what Allah did for me through you. And so I have to honor him. So his mother then says to him, Ya Musab, leave this deen of yours. Come back to your deen and you can have your wealth back. You can have your clothes. You can ha have your status. And a mother is the first one to forgive her child. I'll forgive you for everything that you've done. Just come back to your deen, come back to your way, come back to your home, come back to your mother, and you'll get your wealth again, you'll get your clothes, you'll get all of this. Mus'ab radiallahu ta'ala anhu says, rather you, O mother, come back to Allah, and Allah will forgive you, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will grant you a jannah. So you come to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and you come to the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Then, after trying that, she tries hostility and realized that Mus'ab is a man who, unlike Uthman and Abdurrahman bin Awf, some of those other rich companions who earned and who became rich over time, Mus'ab had it from, from his childhood, right? And she says to him, Listen, if you continue on this way, Wallahi, I will prohibit you from receiving every last dirham that was bequeathed to you. All your father's wealth, everything I have for you, it's gone. She said, your clothes, you'll leave them here. They'll be sold off to the markets and given to someone else. Your shoes, your perfume, everything that you ever owned and everything that you were destined to own is gone. Mus'ab says, I'm okay with that. What Allah has is better. Then she tries to threaten him again. She says, I'm gonna call your uncles and we're going to put you back in that dungeon. This time, Mus'ab has a bit of a feistier answer. Mus'ab says, listen, mom, if you put me back in that dungeon, I promise you that no guard is going to last a day or night with me. I'm going to kill him. I'm going to fight this time. <laughs> I'll kill whoever you put in charge. I will find a way to kill him. So don't waste your time. This time, I'm not going to be as subservient and obedient as I was the last time in this situation. So she was shocked by his answer. So subhanAllah, and this is very painful for him to do, he says to her basically, you leave me alone and I'll leave you alone. You know, you don't, you don't try to hinder this for me and stop me and hurt me, and I'm going to leave you alone, I'm not going to bother you anymore, oh my mother. Still give her the ihsan, still give her the excellence, the good treatment so long as she accepts, but at the end of the, at the, end of the day, if this is where you're at, then let's, let's make this easy. And I'm not going to bother you with my Islam. You don't bother me with shirk. We, we go our separate ways. She says to Mus'ab radiallahu ta'ala anhu, leave behind every single one of your clothes and every single dirham that you have. Mus'ab radiallahu anhu says, take it all. I want nothing. He walks out of that house, having been destined to be the richest boy in Mecca, walking out with not a dirham to his name anymore. You think about that. That level of sacrifice and that level of determination 
and that level of tarbiyah, that level of mentorship and will that had to be generated in him to be able to do that, this is a turning point for him. This is a mindset shift, right? That I am going to turn my back on everything and there's a finality to this particular conversation with his mother, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be pleased with him. His mother unfortunately would die in kufr, she would die in disbelief. And that hurt Mus'ab radiallahu ta'ala anhu. But this was the, the last encounter between Mus'ab radiallahu ta'ala anhu and his mother. And that's the pain when you go back to the narration of Miqdad that you people think that you want to be from the first, you wish you were Sahaba, but you don't know the pain and the anguish that we went through when we followed our messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So Mus'ab radiallahu ta'ala anhu no longer has the beautiful clothes, no longer has the perfume, no longer has the silk, no longer has the jewelry, has none of that. He's just a man from amongst the Muslims and he's basically tribeless. So subhanAllah, he has been reduced in terms of status suddenly to the same level of those people that were considered the low ones of society and Mus'ab is okay with that. He's noted amongst the companions for what? A devout student of the Prophet So he stays close to the Prophet there's one narration that when he was in, in Abyssinia, he was staying close to the elders amongst the companions that migrated so he could gain from them what he missed while he was imprisoned in his mother's home. So he's a student. He's staying close to the Prophet Every word that came out of the mouth of the Prophet in terms of the Quran, Mus'ab was immediately one of those that would memorize it and that would perfect its recitation. So he's someone that would lead the companions in Salah frequently and they enjoyed his recitation. He had a beautiful logic, beautiful sense of logic and wisdom and speech. And so he's prominent in that sense that he's respected amongst the companions and everyone knows what he has sacrificed. Everyone understands what this young man has given up to be a Muslim, to be a follower of the Prophet Then comes 11 years after the Prophet received revelation and it is the, uh, the Hajj season and here the Prophet ﷺ is with Abu Bakr and Ali, may Allah be pleased with them both. And they're going around in the Hajj, the Hijjah, the 11th year after the revelation is received. And they're talking to all of these different outsiders that are coming for the Hajj at night. And they're calling them to Islam. Prophet ﷺ is secretly meeting all of these groups of people with Abu Bakr and Ali, may Allah be pleased with them, and calling them to Islam. Until the Prophet ﷺ Here's about these six young men. Six men from the city of Yathrib, which we know as Medina to Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam now. And no one really considered them to be seniors. They're looked at as lower ones of the region. Their fathers have killed each other off. These young men are all in their 20s, some of them barely 30. And they have no power in the region whatsoever. But the Prophet spares no one when it comes to his da'wah, when it comes to calling them to Islam. He's relentless وسلم, in making sure that every single person that came for the Hajj is hearing from him about what this message of his is. So he goes out to them at night وسلم, and he meets these six young men. And he says to them, are you from Yathrib? They say yes. And the Prophet says, so you're the allies of the Jewish people of Yathrib, people of the book. They said yes. So the Prophet said, sit with me and listen to me. And let me tell you about my way. So he tells them about Tawheed, he tells them about the Qur'an, he tells them about the hereafter, and they say to each other that this is what the Jewish communities in Medina were talking about, a prophet that is to come. Let us beat them to it and embrace him first. 
Six young men who, subhanAllah, are going to change history. And no one can anticipate it that amongst these crowds of Hajj, this, this group of people that have no power whatsoever, sitting with the Prophet who's barely living at this point, are going to change humanity forever. So the Prophet when he calls them, they say to the Prophet how do we join your way? The Prophet tells them how to become Muslim. They embrace Islam. And they say to the Prophet أرسل معنا من يعلم أقوامنا Can you send someone with you or with us that will teach our people? Can you send, pick one of your companions that's going to go with us back to Yathrib and be our teacher? The Prophet taps Mus'ab He says Mus'ab ibn Umair is going to go with you to Medina to Yathrib at the time and he'll teach your people Islam. These six young men walk back with Mus'ab By the way, when Mus'ab died, I calculated it, Mus'ab was probably about 32 or 33 years old when he was killed, when he was martyred. So he's very young, just like they are. Young, handsome man, lost everything. In Medina, they may have heard some of the legends of what he used to own or what it may be, but anyway, he's still going to go be a foreigner, but what an important job. Mus'ab has the responsibility of exploring the one city that seemed to open its hands to the Prophet and teach them about the Prophet So Mus'ab goes with them to Yathrib at the time. Yathrib or Al-Madinah, and we'll get to this when we talk about the Ansar inshallah in season two in some detail, but it was basically a bunch of military camps. <laughs> they killed each other. I mean, there wasn't much left from the elders of Yathrib because they all killed each other over silliness, tribalism. And it's a very unstable situation. You can't really mess up there. Mus'ab goes and the person that is entrusted with him is As'ad ibn Zurara As'ad ibn Zurara being from the Ansar of the Prophet probably the first of the Ansar that we will cover. He takes Mus'ab starts to slowly introduce him to these small groups of people so he could teach them about Islam. As they're sitting with one group of people in Yathrib, a man comes and he's holding a spear and he's walking right towards Mus'ab. So As'ad ibn Zurara, he taps him and he says, listen, He said, a leader amongst the leaders is coming to you. That guy that's coming to you with a spear, clearly not very happy about you. He's a serious person and he has a lot of influence. He says, if he follows you, a lot of people here will follow you. So be patient, take it easy. Mus'ab sits, the man comes up to him, Usaid ibn Hudayr This is Usaid ibn Hudayr carrying a spear and he says to him, what are you teaching my people? He says, I'm going to give you the option to leave in peace or you can leave the hard way. Points to the spear. Either you get up and go or this is about to go right through you. Mus'ab radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he says, how about this, I'll make you a deal. Very calmly, he says to him, listen, I can get up and leave, but why don't you sit with me and just listen to what I have to say. Just hear me out. And if you don't like what I have to say, I'll get up and I'll go. It's a pretty risky offer that he's making to Usaid radiallahu ta'ala anhu, that sit with me, listen to me, hear me out, hear what I have to say. If you don't like it, I'll get up and I'll leave. I'll honor that and we won't have to get to the violent part of this. Sayyidullah anhu, he calms down from the good akhlaq, the good mannerisms of Mus'ab. Mus'ab basically, you know, uh, he basically disarms him with his kindness. 
very calmly, smile on his face, listen, I understand, and he honors him because he says, I will obey you. If you don't like what I have to say, I'll get up and I'll leave. I'm not going to challenge your authority. I'll listen to you. Just sit down and listen to me. So Sayyid puts down his spear. He sits down with Mus'ab radiallahu anhu. Mus'ab radiallahu anhu recites some of the Qur'an to him. Surah Al-A'la. Some of the small surahs of the Qur'an from Juz'amma. Tells him about the basics of the deen. Usaid radiallahu ta'ala anhu is looking at Mus'ab and he's overwhelmed by the message. And he says, this is beautiful. He says, this is beautiful. He says, so if I want to join your way, how do I join your way? Mus'ab radiallahu anhu tells him, the only thing you'll do is you'll take a shower, you know, put on a fresh pair of clothes, and you'll repeat after me, say, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, wa ashhadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah. Usaid gets up, he picks up his spear, he goes back home, he showers, he changes his clothes, he puts on some of the best perfume. He comes back to Mus'ab radiallahu anhu while the water is still dripping from him, and he says, What do I say after you? So say, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, wa ashhadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah. He says, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, wa ashhadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah. Usaid then says, Listen, there's a man that I know. If he becomes Muslim, la aslama qawma. His whole people will become Muslim. So subhanAllah, he went from threatening him with a spear, like to being a hindrance to the da'wah, to now suddenly being a da'i in a moment, right? Like now, let me go introduce you to someone, and he's going to turn everyone Muslim if he becomes Muslim. These are young men, subhanAllah. But he's the chief of his people. They're, they're the only ones that are left at this time. So Usaid, uh, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he takes Mus'ab radiallahu anhu to Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh radiallahu anhu. Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh is powerful, also, by the way, about 31 years old at this point, FYI, chief of his people. This is, I'm just trying to illustrate to you how young, because he was about 36 when he was killed, how young these people were, but they were the Asyad, they were the leaders of their people. So he takes, uh, he, he goes to Sa'ad ibn Mu'ad, Usaid ibn Hudayr, and he says to him, Awaqat Samirat, did you hear about it? He said, what is it? He said, there are some people that are trying to do something to my nephew. Who is his nephew? As'ad ibn Zurara. He didn't say what it was, but uh, they're going to do something to him. So the understanding of Sa'ad is heightened, you know, alert. Someone's trying to hurt my nephew. He wants to wake him up. He wants to get him uh, really excited about something. There's some people trying to do something to your nephew. He said, let's go. Sa'ad radiallahu anhu goes with Usaid ibn Hudayr radiallahu anhu. He finds Mus'ad radiallahu anhu sitting with As'ad ibn Zurara radiallahu anhu, his nephew. And he's ready to kill him. And then he says, what's going on? Mus'ab radiallahu anhu says nothing. Uh, I'm just teaching him some words. And Usaid says, uh, sit down and listen to what he has to say. Sa'ad ibn Mu'ad sits down. Sa'ad ibn Mu'ad, subhanAllah, this was the condition of the hearts of the Ansar. He said, this is amazing, beautiful. This is the truth. How do I become Muslim? He said, just take a shower, say, Ashhadu wa la ilallah, Ashhadu wa Muhammad Rasulullah. Do ghusl, and that's all you have to do is say the shahadatain. So now it's Mus'ab. Usaid and Sa'ad, and say there is one more person we need to call to Islam and then Medina's done. Yathrib is going to be all Muslim. He said, who is that? Sa'ad ibn Ubadah. They go, they call Sa'ad ibn Ubadah radiallahu anhu the same way Sa'ad ibn Ubadah becomes Muslim. So suddenly, in just a matter of moments, Mus'ab radiallahu anhu has the three most powerful people in Yathrib as Muslims. Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh calls everyone to him. Interesting. And he says to them, O people of Yathrib, قَدْ أَسْلَمْتُ وَآمَنْتُ بِمُحَمَّدٍ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمْ I've become Muslim and I've believed in Muhammad صلى الله عليه وسلم. 
If you don't believe the way that I do in one God and reject your idols, then do not ask anything of me. I do not know you. You do not know me. All of the tribal alliances are broken. There is no marriage between us. There are no contracts between us. We are done. I say, well, this is, what's going on here? So they start inquiring. Sa'ad says, and if you want to know more about this religion, he points to Mus'ab anhu. So the people all surround Mus'ab anhu in this strange place, and Mus'ab is teaching them Islam. And they all start to become Muslim one by one. SubhanAllah, by the time night comes, Mus'ab has a few hundred converts in this new city. At this time, I want you to, to just perceive this. You know when the Prophet will see Mus'ab next? He sent him out when? When did he send them out? Hajj. Literally, the Ansar went home with Mus'ab It was in Hajj. It wasn't like Mus'ab, go home, take some time, you're about to make this journey. It was like, Mus'ab, go, you're going with them. The next time the Prophet sees Mus'ab and them is Hajj. Hajj the next year. A whole year in Yathrib, bringing these people to Islam. Mus'ab is their Imam in diaspora for a year. And all these people are becoming Muslim under Mus'ab anhu and falling in love with the Prophet Mus'ab anhu brings about 70 Ansar with him to meet the Prophet in Hajj. The Prophet is looking at these people like, Ya Allah, what is this? Who, you know, SubhanAllah, Mus'ab you say you had one job, he did that job very well. Converted basically the whole city that the Prophet sent him to. And they met the Prophet right near the Jamarat. In fact, if you go to uh, the Masjid of Al-Aqaba, which is the second bay'ah, the second pledge of Al-Aqaba, it was where that group of about 70 met the Prophet and they gave that pledge to the Prophet that the next year the Prophet was going to come to them. So Mus'ab returned. Now the narration of Al-Bara He says, The first two to come to us from the companions of the Prophet were who? You better know the answer. Mus'ab and Abdullah bin Umaktum. You saved everyone. The man we talked about last week. The first two to come to us from Mecca, Mus'ab and Abdullah bin Umaktum. And then for bonus, who came next? Anyone remember from last week? Sisters took notes. He said, Ammar and Bilal, radiallahu ta'ala anhum. So he says about Mus'ab and Abdullah bin Umm Maktoum, he says, al-Qur'an. They taught us the Qur'an. So they were teaching us the Qur'an. Mus'ab and Abdullah bin Umm Maktoum, radiallahu ta'ala anhum, were teaching the people of Medina the Qur'an before the Prophet Then came Ammar and Bilal and Sa'id. Then came Umar ibn al-Khattab, and he had 20 people with him and then the Prophet came now Al-Bara by the way is from the Ansar he's speaking from the people of Medina he hasn't met the Prophet yet okay he's only met the, he's going in order of the people that he has met all right he's been hearing about the Prophet but now he says I never saw the people of Medina in my entire life be more excited, be more in joy about anything the way they were excited 
about the Prophet وسلم, he said the women, the children, everyone was out on the streets saying, Hada Rasulullahi Qajja. This is the Messenger of Allah. He's come to us. And he says, Fama Jaa He said that he did not come except that he found that I have already uh, memorized Surah Al-A'la and some of the other short surahs of the Qur'an. So what he's saying is Mus'ab did not just make people Muslim. He made people love the Prophet so much that they couldn't wait to meet him. This is such a lesson for us. Every single one of us is an ambassador of the Prophet These people on the outside, that only know about Islam, the horrible images that they're seeing on TV, right? Or, to be fair, some of the horrible Muslims that they might have actually encountered, you're their example. You have a chance to show them who the Prophet was. And if you adopt the way of the Prophet people will fall in love with him, not because they know him but because they know you. And you say, this is how I am because of what I learned from Muhammad it's almost who did. He emulated what he, he traced it all back to the Prophet. People fell in love with Mus'ab in Medina. He was their Imam. And Mus'ab taught them the entire time. If you think if you think this is good, the one who sent me is Muhammad. To the point they couldn't wait for the Prophet to come to Al Medina. And when the Prophet comes because of what Mus'ab represented of him, they embrace the Prophet Then come some of the narrations of when they got to Al-Madina. They're very powerful specifically about Mus'ab ibn Abi Talib He says that I was sitting in a gathering with Rasulullah when Mus'ab came to us and Mus'ab had this harsh, cheap burda just one garment that he could wear, a single cloth. And he had nothing else. Coarse, cheap, uh, you know, it, had, it, it was all patched up. And the Prophet ﷺ, he says, فَلَمَّا رَآهُ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ بَكَى لِلَّذِي كَانَ فِيهِ That he cried, seeing Mus'ab رضي الله تعالى and he continues, بَكَى لِلَّذِي كَانَ فِيهِ مِنَ النِّعْمَةِ he cried about remembering what Mus'ab used to look like in Mecca and what he looks like now. The ni'mah, the blessing that Mus'ab used to have and the blessing that he had right now. This is before his death, which is legendary in that sense, right? Just looking at him while he's still alive and the change from wealth to poverty, prosperity to poverty. Then the Prophet said, كَيْفَ بِكُمْ إِذَا غَدَى أَحَدُكُمْ فِي حُلَّةٍ وَرَاحَ فِي حُلَّةٍ وَوُضِعَتْ بَيْنَ يَدَيْهِ صَحْفَةٌ وَرُفِعَتْ أُخْرَى وَسَتَرْتُمْ بُيُوتَكُمْ كَمَا تُسْتَرُ الْكَعْبَةِ Powerful words. The Prophet said, How will it be when you people, Prophet is talking to the Ummah of Muhammad are in such a state that when late morning comes to you, you're wearing a hulla. Hulla is like a suit. You're, you're wearing fine clothes. And then by the, by the end of the day, you're wearing another suit. Meaning you're in such ni'mah as an ummah of Muhammad you're in such blessing 
as the nation of the Prophet that you have one pair of clothes to wake up in, one pair of clothes to sleep in. A fine set of clothes to wake up in, a fine set of clothes to sleep in. And in the, in, in the, in the morning, a platter is given to you, and then another one is removed, meaning you have multiple meals a day. And you cover your houses the way that the Kaaba is covered. Meaning you adorn your homes. You live in nice houses, you adorn your homes, you wear nice clothes, you have nice meals. And the Prophet is looking at Mus'ab and was speaking to the Ummah Muhammad one day, you're going to have all that. And the implication is that Mus'ab never will. He never will again in this life. They said, Ya Rasulullah. نَحْنُ يَوْمَئِذٍ خَيْرٌ مِنَّا الْيَوْمِ Who are we, are, are we better than them or are they better than us? نَحْنُ يَوْمَئِذٍ خَيْرٌ are, are we better than they are or are they better than us? Who's in a better situation? And the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he said, uh, or they said to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, الْيَوْمَ نَتَفَرَّغُ لِلْعِبَادَةِ وَنُكْفَ الْمَأُونَ That today uh, we are a people that spend their time in worship. We are people that spend their time in worship and we're satisfied with what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given to us. So they said to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, نَحْنُ يَوْمَ إِذِنْ خَيْرٌ مِنَّ الْيَوْمِ نَتَفَرَّغُ لِلْعِبَادَةِ وَنُكْفَ الْمَأُونَ Are we in a better state now when we are uh, in a place where we are worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and satisfied with what is given to us? Or are we better at that, in that situation? فَقَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, لَأَنْتُمُ الْيَوْمَ خَيْرٌ مِنْكُمْ يَوْمَ إِذِنْ Today, your state is better than you will be that day. Some of you are going to live to see that day where you have the goodness of this world. Right now, what you are in of this hardship, you are in a better state with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala than you will be that day in particular. So the Prophet is saying, like, this moment that you're in right now, hardship, being strangers, being migrants in the hijrah, lost, kind of figuring out who you are, you're in a better state with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala than you will be in that day. Badr comes around. The Prophet ﷺ announces the flag bearer of Badr and he announces Mus'ab Now by the way, the person who's chosen as the flag bearer is significant, is very significant. Not, not anyone gets to hold the flag up. And in particular, in this strategy here that, you know, if the flag bearer is killed, then that signifies that the army is falling apart. So the flag bearer tends to be someone who maintains the morale of the army as well. So, Mus'ab is given the honor of being the flag bearer at Badr. And after the battle of Badr, the Qurashis are brought from the other side. And the Prophet ﷺ, of course, he said, treat the prisoners well. And he announces it out loud, ﷺ, make sure that you treat your prisoners well. We're not going to harm these captives. Mus'ab he sees his brother, Abu Yazid, amongst the captives of Badr. And Mus'ab radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he says uh, to the person that is uh, holding him, he says, listen, tie him up firmly, make sure you don't lose him, because his mother has a lot of money. And she's going to ransom him well. So his brother says to Mus'ab, is that what you're saying about me? Like, this is what you think right now? Like, tie him up, make sure you don't let him go, because his mom is going to give you a lot of money, it's going to, you're going to ransom him. And Mus'ab radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he says that he is my brother, not you. That's my brother. So subhanAllah, this is, a, this is a very difficult time for them, but look, this is the situation in this regard, that it's not the ties of kinship that bond them at this point, it's the ties of faith 
where you had a persecuted community that had bonded even stronger at that time. And then comes the Battle of Uhud. And this is where you see Mus'ab in, uh, in what we know of him and what happened to him in this regard. Mus'ab once again before the Battle of Uhud, the Prophet calls for him and the Prophet hands him the flag. So Mus'ab has the honor of being the flag bearer both in Badr and in Uhud. Very unique, subhanAllah, that the Prophet loved him that much and he placed him in that situation. Some of the, the scholars, they mention that, you know, Mus'ab never left the position in the hearts of the Muslims in Medina and he always had the hearts of the Muslims in Mecca. So he really had a state of a status of an Imam amongst the people. So it's not just the love that Allah and the Messenger had for him, but it's also the place that he had, right? I mean, he was the Imam of the people of Medina for years and in Mecca, they grew up following him, radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So he was the right person to be the flag bearer in this regard. And of course, he was beloved to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So the Prophet sallallahu announces in front of the people right before the battle starts that Mus'ab radiallahu anhu is going to hold the liwa, he's going to hold the flag of the Muslims. The Battle of Badr starts. Uhud, sorry, the Battle of Uhud starts. The Muslims, of course, in the first part of the battle, completely devastate the Meccans. Their strategic place from a military perspective was the, ar- the, the, the mountain of archers. 50 of them, the Prophet ﷺ tells them, hold your positions, don't come down from there until I tell you to, even if you think the battle is over, even if you think that the spoils of war are being distributed, even if you see that they have won and they're cutting up our bodies, don't come down until I tell you to come down. Clear instructions that he gives them Mus'ab radiallahu ta'ala anhu serves honorably in that battle. Of course, as we know, what happens, and this is subhanAllah truly uh, something to reflect on, 40 of those that were on the mountain came down. Why? Because they were afraid of missing out on the spoils, on the wealth that they now saw laying in the battlefield in Uhud. They were afraid of missing out on the ghanimah. Mus'ab radiallahu ta'ala anhu gave all that up for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. All that that was laying on the battlefield of shields and swords and gold and wealth, Mus'ab radiallahu anhu already turned his heart away from that. He turned his mind away from that years before that. But subhanAllah, that's a weakness of some people. They saw that and it seemed like the battle was over and the other side had retreated and there was this quiet in the battlefield itself and their possessions left behind, it seems like we routed them the way that we routed them in Badr. We won. And so they start to dispute amongst themselves about whether they should go down. Some of them reminding others that Rasulullah told us not to go down. And others saying, but the battle is clearly over and the Muslims are celebrating. Let's go claim our spoils of war. 40 of them come down. Only 10 of them remain up there. Khalid ibn al-Walid radiallahu ta'ala anhu, of course at that time was on the opposite side, recognizes the strategic strength that they now have because they no longer have that view and that position of strength there. So he takes the army around Jabal Uhud, around the mountain of Uhud, and while those Muslims are in the battlefield uh, claiming what was left over, 
Khalid عنه, comes with a much larger army and they start to mow down the Muslims in the battlefield. They take out the 10 that are left on the mountain and they start to go through them. Mus'ab he recognizes the second wind that's going on and he sees them coming directly at the Prophet Killing the Prophet is a, a, a definitive way to end this battle. If they kill the Prophet they win, right? And they knew that, which is why when the battle got heated, they shouted out what? Qatalna Muhammad. We killed Muhammad and some of the Muslims, there were some that came down to claim the spoils. Not everyone's the same. Some of them, when they heard that the Prophet was killed, they sat down on the battlefield and they started to cry, forgetting that they were in the middle of a battle. So everyone is, is different, but there is chaos. And Mus'ab who sees them coming for the Prophet what does he do? He's the flag bearer. Mus'ab he takes his horse and he has the flag and he goes far away from the Prophet Can anyone tell me why he would do that? What's he trying to do? So they follow him and not the Prophet See SubhanAllah what he's doing? He's not fleeing the battlefield but he goes to another part away from the Prophet he holds up the flag high and he starts to chant out Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar so he's causing commotion so that they can come at him instead of the Prophet SubhanAllah knowing that this army that's sweeping through that all that's going to do is it's going to give the Prophet maybe his best chance is that they, they're able to carry the Prophet off and get him away from the battlefield that's all he wants to do SubhanAllah so he starts chanting Allahu Akbar, he starts raising his horse, he starts doing anything he can to attract the attention of the army of the mushrikeen. And he succeeds momentarily. SubhanAllah, there is a man by the name of Abdullah ibn Qami'ah. This was the man that beat the, the helmet of the Prophet into his face. He was pounding the, the helmet into the face of the Prophet Qamma'ahullah, the Prophet said, may Allah disgrace him. Man coming, he comes to Mus'ab radiallahu anhu, this man was a, was, was a cruel man. So he sees Mus'ab radiallahu ta'ala anhu holding the flag and he understands what's going on. And he was, by the way, the one that would shout out, Qatalna Muhammad, Qatalna Muhammad. He's doing everything he can to increase the chaos. He goes to Mus'ab radiallahu ta'ala anhu and he doesn't attack the flag. He cuts off his hand. So he cuts off the right hand of Mus'ab that was holding the flag. He slices at his arm and goes by him. What does Mus'ab do? SubhanAllah, this man. He gets down, he holds what's left, and he picks up the flag with his left hand, mounts his horse, and starts to cause commotion again, and says, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, until his left is sliced as well. Mus'ab, he picks up then the flag with what's left, and he raises it this way. Until eventually a spear comes right at him and kills him. This was devastating to the Muslims. Devastating to the Prophet Hard for people to see. And when you think about morale, that's a way to really kill their morale. And because of how much SubhanAllah Mus'ab resembled the Prophet some of them saw Mus'ab when they thought it was the Prophet That's how much he looked like him. 
And while Mus'ab was holding the flag before he was killed, he was reciting, وَمَا مُحَمَّدٌ إِلَّا رَسُولٌ قَدْ خَلَتْ مِنْ قَبْلِهِ الرُّسُلُ Muhammad was not but a messenger. Messengers have come before him. If he is killed or he dies, will you turn back on your heels? So he is reciting that to tell the Muslims, even if Muhammad is dead, keep going, keep going, keep going. And he went until his last moment with a spear through his chest from the same man, Abdullah ibn Qamiyyah. And that killed him. Mus'ab when he was killed, he had over 70 wounds on his body when he was found dead on that day radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And subhanAllah, you know, it's, it's very interesting. There's so many parallels. Both he and Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum were those who brought Islam to Medina first. And both of them died with what? With the flag of Islam to their chest. SubhanAllah, you can't write it more powerfully than that. Both of them died holding that flag, holding the banner of La ilaha illallah in the midst of all of that devastation. Khabab radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he said that Mus'ab radiallahu anhu was killed at the Battle of Uhud and when we went to look for the cloth to shroud him in, the Prophet saw him and we couldn't cover his entire body. When we covered his upper half, his lower half showed and when we covered his lower half, his upper half showed. This was a man that owned Mecca and he didn't have enough to cover his whole body in the, in the moments of his martyrdom in Uhud. And the Prophet says, Prophet said, cover his, his head with the cloth and then put some bushes, some grass, anything to cover, vegetation to cover the rest of his body that can't be covered. And Rasulullah said, subhanAllah, when he went through the, the battlefield, the first person he went to was Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu, his uncle, his brother, someone so beloved to the Prophet And Rasulullah cried over Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu in a way that no one had ever seen him cry before. The crying of the Prophet over Hamza radiallahu anhu was unlike the crying they ever heard from the Prophet And then he went to Mus'ab radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And the Prophet started to cry. And he recited sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, مِنَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ رِجَالٌ صَدَقُوا مَا عَاهَدُ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ there are those from amongst the believers who are truthful to the covenant that they took with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. مِنْهُمْ مَنْ قَضَى نَحْبَ وَمِنْهُمْ مَنْ يَنْتَظِرْ وَمَا بَدَّلُوا تَبْدِيلًا Some of them fulfill their oath right away. Some of them are delayed. But they do not, they do not move away from their original covenant. They stick to their promise to Allah. And then listen to what the Prophet said because this is instructive to us. It's authentic that the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam then said to Mus'ab radiallahu ta'ala anhu, and to the shuhada around him. Inna Rasulullahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam yashhadu annakum al-shuhada indallahi yawm al-qiyamah. The Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam bears witness that you are the martyrs, the shuhada of Allah on the Day of Judgment. You are considered amongst the shuhada, those martyrs on the Day of Judgment. And then the Prophet called out to the people. Aqbala ala nas faqal, ayyuhan nas. He said, O people, Visit these people frequently, the shuhada of Uhud. Visit them frequently. Come to them and give salam to them. Prophet said, I swear by the one in whose hand is my soul 
no Muslim will come to them and say salam to them until the day of judgment except that the salam, they will return the salam to them. So when you go for Umrah, you go for Hajj, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala return us to that place. And you visit Uhud, which is the sunnah of the Prophet the sunnah of Rasulullah you know, people go there and they do the touristy stuff. Go to this masjid and this masjid and this masjid. The sunnah of the Prophet is that he would go to Uhud and he would pray on those martyrs. SubhanAllah, I think about the beauty of our Prophet and how he never forgot those people. That before he died, وسلم, the last thing he did was he went to Uhud and he gave salam to them one more time and he prayed upon them and then he went to Al Baqir. And then he went home sallallahu alayhi wa sallam until he would die between his home and the masjid sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And it's instructive to us, go to them, visit them, give salam to them. You don't go to them and say salam to them, to Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu, to Mus'ab radiallahu ta'ala anhu, except that they return the salam to you radiallahu ta'ala anhum ajma'een. Hamna bint Jash, the wife of Mus'ab, the widow of Mus'ab, she comes to the Prophet and what happened after Uhud was that the women were waiting outside the battlefield. Some of them ran to see their loved ones who was on the field and some of them didn't want to actually come and see the dead bodies. So they were waiting for the news to come to them. So a large group of women were waiting to hear what happened to their loved ones. So as the women were coming to the Prophet asking him what happened, the Prophet he said to each one of them, he told them who passed away. Hamna radiallahu anha came to the Prophet The Prophet said, O oh, Hamna, seek the reward for your brother Abdullah bin Jahsh. Your brother passed away. Abdullah bin Jahsh radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Faqalat inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'oon. Rahimahullah wa ghafara lahu. Inna lillahi wa inna To Allah we belong and to Allah we return. May Allah have mercy on him and may Allah forgive him. And then the Prophet said, Ya Hamna, ihtasibi khalak Hamza ibn Abdul Muttalib. Hamza radiallahu anha, her maternal uncle was Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu. She's the cousin of the Prophet. Her maternal uncle is Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So the Prophet started off with your, her brother and then said, and your uncle Hamza also passed away. So she said, Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'oon, rahimahullah wa ghafara lahu. May Allah have mercy on him and forgive him. And then the Prophet said, Ya Hamna, ihtasibi zawjak, Mus'ab ibn Umair. O Hamna, seek the reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for <coughs> your husband Mus'ab ibn Umair. And Hamna radiallahu anha started to wail. She said, Ya Huzna, Ya Hirbah. Started to call out and cry and shout and scream. And the Prophet started to cry from her crying. And the Prophet said, The Prophet he said that a husband has a unique position with his wife that no one else can fill. That it's different when I mentioned to her, her husband Mus'ab radiallahu ta'ala anhu, that it moved Hamna radiallahu anha in a very different way. And that's something subhanAllah shows you the, the emotional intelligence of the Prophet as well. Recognizing the different layers and the different levels of grief that this was her husband, Mus'ab radiallahu ta'ala anhu. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have mercy on him 
and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it easy for all of the widows of this ummah. I want to end with a few notes, inshaAllah ta'ala, in regards to Mus'ab radiallahu ta'ala anhu. This was the first that the first always remembered. This was the first that the first always remembered. Anytime the Sahaba had something of goodness that came to them, they went back to Mus'ab radiallahu anhu. And they cried remembering Mus'ab radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Abu Wa'il radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he says, Udna Khababa, we went to visit Khabab radiallahu ta'ala anhu when he was sick. Faqala, Hajarna ma'an Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Nuridu wajhallah. He said, We made hijrah with the Prophet and we only wanted the reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Faminna man mada lam yakhud min ajri. There are those amongst us who passed away without having received anything of this world. And he says, Minhum Mus'ab ibn Umair radiallahu ta'ala anhu. I remember Mus'ab ibn Umair radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Qutila yawma Uhud. He was killed on the day of Uhud. And he did not have anything to cover his body on that day. And he started to cry. And he says, وَمِنَّا مَنْ أَيْنَعَتْ لَهُ ثَمَرَتُهُ فَهُوَ يَهْدُبُهَا he said that some of us have received our reward in this world and we are consuming that. We are being plucked with the reward of this world, meaning we, we're not, we don't have anything left of the ajr, of the hereafter. That was the fear of a man like Khabab who was tortured in early Islam, who was one of those that was tortured so severely that people could hear his shouting in Mecca. But he remembered Mus'ab Every time goodness came to him, he said, SubhanAllah, we live to see the goodness of Islam. But Mus'ab he didn't live to see that. He had it all taken away from him and all he had was the ajr of the hereafter. The other person, subhanAllah, on the opposite side of Khabbab, someone who had the opposite experience of Khabbab radiallahu anhu from the muhajirun, Abdurrahman ibn Awf radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Sa'ad uh, narrates that, Uti Abdurrahman ibn Awf radiallahu ta'ala anhu, yawman bi ta'amihi, there was a day that we brought Abdurrahman ibn Awf his food and he started to cry. And he said, Qutila Mus'ab, he said, Mus'ab was killed and he was a better person than, than me. And he didn't have enough to even give him a kafan except for that one cloth that he had. And Hamza was killed and he was better than me and he did not have anything to even cover his body. قَدْ عُجِّلَتْ لَنَا طَيِّبَاتُنَا فِي حَيَاتِنَا الدُّنْيَا ثُمَّ جَعَلَ يَفْكِي He said, I'm afraid that our goodness has come to us in this dunya. It's been hastened for us in this dunya and we don't have anything waiting for us in the hereafter. And he started to cry. What this tells you, subhanAllah, is that even those Sahaba, whether it was Khabbab who was tortured in Mecca or Abdurrahman ibn Awf who had the wealth, two people with opposite experiences, but all of the early Muslims could converge on one thing. Mus'ab radiallahu anhu was the best of us and he deserved he deserved so much. He deserved so much, but he never got to see it. And that hurt them to know that Mus'ab radiallahu ta'ala anhu did not get to see it. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala preserved something so much greater for Mus'ab radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Dear brothers and sisters, subhanAllah, you look at Hamza radiallahu anhu and Mus'ab radiallahu anhu buried next to each other. And subhanAllah, both of them embraced Islam in Darul Arqam. One of them opened up Mecca, the other one opened up Medina. And here they are buried together, subhanAllah, next to each other in Uhud. 
you also see another similarity that the ulama mentioned. The first two ambassadors of Islam, Ja'far radiallahu ta'ala anhu to Abyssinia and Mus'ab radiallahu ta'ala anhu to, uh, to Al-Madina, to Yathrib, which would become Medina to Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And both of them had their arms lost in battle. SubhanAllah, both of these men that shared that distinction of being the ambassadors of the Prophet Ja'far securing the security of the Messenger in Abyssinia, Mus'ab securing the, uh, the situation in Medina for the Prophet And I just remind us, SubhanAllah, as we take this, this lesson, and there's so many lessons and we're, we're out of time. Number one, Allah has purchased from the believers their lives and their wealth so that in return they have what? Jannah. Do you think Mus'ab radiallahu ta'ala anhu would want to come back for a moment to have anything that this world has to offer him? Would he trade anything of what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given to him and showed him and the beauty of what is bestowed upon him to come back to this world and to enjoy the meal that some of the other Sahaba got to enjoy later on in Islam or some of the palaces that came to Islam? Or do you think Mus'ab radiallahu ta'ala anhu is enjoying the na'im, the gardens, the palaces, everything that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has promised to him? He wouldn't come back for anything. Mus'ab radiallahu anhu would not want to blink his eye in this world again. He wouldn't want to see anything of this world again. I mean, he has everything that you could possibly want radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And he is the definition of this ayah gave up his wealth, gave up his life, all for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The second lesson, dear brothers and sisters, in that regard, is a major lesson for us that the truth has consequences. The truth has consequences. If you haven't learned it over these last 50 episodes, all these biographies, Mus'ab radiallahu ta'ala anhu is the greatest example of that. That if you deeply believe in something, you're going to have to make sacrifices for it. You're going to have tough moments in life. You're going to be challenged. You might be persecuted for what you believe in. You're going to face social pressure. You might even face family pressure. You might lose things of this world. You might have to pass up opportunities. You might have things you know, pass by you. And you maintain your faithfulness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But you're going to have to make sacrifices. And that was the thing about Mus'ab radiallahu ta'ala anhu, is that he gave everything up of this dunya and he took nothing back. So he was the ultimate transformation of a person, you know, in terms of this dunya. He had all of his ajr waiting for him from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's a lesson for us as well. The third thing, dear brothers and sisters, what a scale, a mizan that Mus'ab radiallahu anhu has. And Imam al-Bayhaqi rahimahullah says, what man could meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and have in his mizan, Medina. <laughs> Just think about that for a moment. Medina and all of its Muslims and every person who goes there to pray in Masjid Nabawi and everything that came out of the Medina and all the blessings that came out of the community of the Prophet the entire community of the Ansar, wa abna al-Ansar, wa abna abna al-Ansar, Every single descendant and every single person who fell in love with Medina, all of it, Mus'ab radiallahu anhu shows up on the Day of Judgment. He's already a shaheed. And Medina is in his mizan. Medina's in his scale. What a man, radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And last thing, dear brothers and sisters, is just a wish as we're coming to an end with Mus'ab radiallahu ta'ala anhu. You know, subhanAllah, we don't have any ahadith from him. How rich of a history 
in one person, there are no hadith from Mus'ab anhu. He only left behind one daughter who was a baby when, when he died. Her name was Zainab, named after her aunt, Zainab, the wife of the Prophet Zainab bin Jahsh. So he had Zainab bin Mus'ab, the one daughter that was a baby when he passed away that succeeded him. Not a single time do you read in the hadith of the Prophet وَعَنْ Musab. All that history in Mecca, all that history in Medina, all that history in Abyssinia, all of those moments, we don't have it. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to be in Jannah and hear his story from him. Imagine sitting with him, all the untold stories, you know, subhanAllah, you wait to hear the behind the scenes and the things that happened of an incident that you know that's historical. How much seerah is with Mus'ab anhu that the world has never known because he was killed in Uhud. And not a single narration an Mus'ab on behalf of Mus'ab anhu. And so tamanna, wish, wish that you be with them. Antama'man ahbabt, you are with those that you love. If you love Mus'ab anhu, you'll be with Mus'ab anhu. If you love Hamza anhu, you'll be with Hamza. If you love Abu Bakr, you love Umar, you love Uthman, you love Ali, you love Al-Hassan, you love Al-Hussein. You love Fatima, you love Khadija, you love Um Salama, you love Bilal, you'll be with them. So there is a ibadah here. There is an act of worship in deeply connecting ourselves to them. Visit them, visit Uhud, make the intention to visit Uhud and to give salam to them and revel next time you go there in knowing that their salam has been returned to you. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to be gathered with them in Al Firdaus al A'la around our beloved Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive us for our shortcomings. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward them for what they left behind and allow us to emulate the best of it. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it easy for the suffering Muslims in Afghanistan and around the world today. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to cling on to what gives us true everlasting life in the hereafter. Radiallahu ta'ala an Mus'ab wa an ashabi Rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam ajma'een wa sallallahu wa sallam barak ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.